come away morning. It can be a big deal to come to a church, and so we're really glad you're here. 
if anyone is interested in connecting at Awaken, there are cards in front of you. If you fill one of those out, someone from our leadership team or staff will contact you. We would love to take you out for a beverage of your choice and get to know you a little bit more. Uh, on the flip side of those cards is a space for prayer requests. We pray throughout the week. Um, so if there's something that you want us to hold with you, we would be honored to do that. That, along with any tithes and offerings, can go into black boxes by each of the doors. Uh, and as far as community life this morning, uh, this Wednesday, January 8th, we are going uh, to have a worship night. So kind of a midweek time to, I don't know, interrupt your daily, or I guess weekly routine. Take some time to connect with God, each other, maybe experience some silence and music. Um, that will be happening over across the street at Art House North at 7 p.m. So we'd love to have you there. Uh, next Sunday, January 12th, we are going to have Discover Awaken. We do this usually about every other month. Uh, if you are new, this is a really good way to kind of hear a little bit about Awaken and the things that kind of mark our community. Uh, get to know some new people if you have any questions. Um, it'll just be some space for that. And then we also provide lunch. So if that is something you are interested in doing, you can sign up on the website just so we know how many to plan for for food. Uh, and then the following two weeks, January 19th and 26th, we are going to have partnership classes. So if you are in a place where you are ready to call Awaken home, uh, we do this usually about three to four times a year. So another round of classes, again, to kind of hear about Awaken, but then to also make it home. Um, you can sign up on the website for that as well. And you do have to go to both classes. What's next? <laughs> Micah. I'm next, Jenna. Hey, everybody. Welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, today is a big morning. Um, in the waters of baptism, uh, we are marked in a family or into a family, a family whose bond is our common faith in the work of Jesus, sort of a, a redefinition of who we belong to and who we're responsible to and for. Um, it's a challenge to the notion that we're only responsible to the people who share a last name with us. And so parents have been bringing their children to the waters of baptism from the very beginning of the Christian story. Uh, and the community gathered bears witness to the indelible and unmistakable grace of God, active and present and at work, uh, always inviting and reminding us that we are named and claimed by this God, that we are welcomed into a family beyond our own. And so our hope and prayer as a community uh, and the hope and prayer of these parents, which will be coming up here in a few moments, is that these young ones would one day on their own come to an understanding of this miracle, uh, that God has been and is present to them, has named them and claimed them as his own, and will recognize that this God revealed in Jesus is worthy of their love and commitment. And so today, Paul and Kylie bring Macklin Paul, and we'll show some pictures of these young ones here. Josh and Kate are bringing Francis Roger and Winona Delphine. And Nate and Emily bring Silas, Oliver, and Soren Lyle to the waters of baptism. And uh, we are reminded of the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark when he says, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the child in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them. When we were talking about this day, uh, one family said, hey, we'd like to get our children baptized. And these families all know each other. And they were saying, like, we would stand up for your family and you would stand up for our family. So how about we just all stand up together? Uh, and these kids were all born together in this church uh, and are growing up together in this church. Um, so I was really looking forward to today. Um, let's pray with me, if you will. God, we thank you for the gift of water. Over it, the Spirit hovered at creation's birth. Through it, you led your children, Israel, out of Egypt. In it, your son was baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit to lead us through his death and into his resurrection. And so we thank you for the water of baptism. For in it, we're buried with Christ in his death, and by it, we share in his resurrection. Through it, we're renewed by your Spirit. God, would you sanctify this water as a symbol of your covenant with us? And we pray by the power of your Spirit that these children of yours may come to know on their own, that they were always loved, named, and chosen by you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. 
Parents, um, Paul, Kylie, Josh, Kate, Nate, and Emily, do you desire that your children be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If so, answer, we do. And relying on God's grace, do you intend to teach them the ways of Jesus so that they might see in you an example and follow on their own? Empowered by the Spirit, do you intend to enable them to participate fully in the life of the church, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God? Um, if you are family and friends of these fine couples and fam uh, children, would you stand with them in solidarity? And I'll ask you, will you support Paul and Kylie, Josh and Nate, or Josh and Kate, Nate and Emily and their children, speaking truth into their lives, showing grace, affirming them in their call to live like Jesus, and reminding these little ones that they're loved and that they belong? If so, answer, with God's help, we will. And to the church at Awaken, would you please stand? Uh, the nurture of these little ones is not just for parents and sponsors. But as members of one fellowship in the church, um, in some ways, we're responsible for these little ones. And so in receiving and caring for them, will you as members of the church of Jesus Christ do your part by word and deed, with love and prayer, care for them, encouraging them to know and love Jesus on their own? If so, answer with God's help, we will. You may be seated. All right. Let's do this. Let's do Macklin first. Macklin, my brother, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. He had a very strange look for me when I was doing that. <laughs> Who's next? You, Francis? All right, Francis, my brother. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. My turn. Your turn. <laughs> Winona, my sister, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. Countenance to you and give you his peace. All right, Soren. Soren, my brother, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much for these families. I thank you for these children and what a gift they are. And God, we just pause for a moment this morning um, to bask, to, to let the waters of your love and your grace uh, wash over them. And we recognize that you have always loved them. And you have always known their names. And I pray, God, that... Uh, that these ones would know by the example of their parents and those around them what you're like, that they would know your strength, that they would know the intensity of your love, that they would know your care and your compassion and your nurture, and that they would choose on their own to say yes and follow you. We thank you for the gift of water and baptism, uh, and we just celebrate it this morning. And the church prays together in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Uh, I think we're going to 
invite kids to their time of worship, maybe. So, um, kids, we like you a lot. And we want to sing this blessing over you. So if you're new, um, your kids are welcome to stay with you. But if they're going to head down to the kids' community, if you could help check them in, that'd be great. Kindergarten, first grade over here, second grade, fifth grade over here. And let's sing this blessing over them. May God give you eyes to see all that is good, all that is good. Courage for anything. May you be strong. May you be strong. May God give you ease to hear His loving voice. His Take a moment to greet people around you, maybe grab a cup of coffee and just get comfortable. make your way back to your seats, that would be great. Uh, I'm going to try to put myself together here. Um, I just kept thinking, I don't deserve this. Like, nobody deserves to stand in that place. It's pretty special. So, uh, Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> happy New Year. Um, 2020, man, I don't know about you, but I was ready to say goodbye to 2019 and uh, hello to a new year. Can I get an amen? Any others? Yeah, okay. Some of you may have loved 2019. Did anyone love 2019? A few, a few of you. All right. You're welcome here too. You're welcome just as much as anybody else. Um, I don't know if this is going to be a new tradition at Awaken, but last year prior to Christmas, as we were thinking about post-Christmas and where we would go and what we would teach and kind of where we would be in a series, I was at a loss and so I decided to consult our advisory team, which, you know, they do advise on a number of things. So I said to them, like, hey, what, what do you guys think? Where should we go if you had a chance to speak into, you know, the series? And so we batted a few ideas around, and then one person chimed in and said, you know, Michael, one of the things I loved about Awaken when we first came was you, you, you were just studying a book of the Bible, and we went through a book of the Bible, and um, I, we loved it, and you seemed to really enjoy it, so I guess maybe what I'm suggesting is we just, you just teach the Bible. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's earth-shattering. Uh, just, this just in, pastor decides to teach Bible in 2020. So, uh, so, Last year we studied Colossians, and I, I just thought we'll stick with Paul, um, but we'll go uh, with Galatians for 500 this year. So we're going to be in the book of Galatians, 
uh, over the next eight weeks. If you didn't know, Epiphany begins tomorrow in the church calendar. Epiphany is sort of the second movement along the way. And if Advent is about the people who walked in great darkness having seen a great light, if it's about anticipation and waiting and hoping, Epiphany is about celebrating the reality of the coming of Christ, the coming of the light of the world into the world. Uh, And so uh, what does it mean that God has made his dwelling among us? A profound question in the person of Jesus and then by the Spirit. Uh, In Epiphany, this this season uh, sort of brings to light uh, all the implications of this new idea, this new covenant. What does it mean to be the people of God constituted not by Torah observance, but by faith in Christ? Um, What does it mean to be empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God to be the people of God? Is it the faithfulness of Christ or your faith in Christ that saves you, or maybe both? Uh, How do we participate in the suffering and death of Christ so that we might participate in the resurrection of Christ? All this and more Paul deals with in the book of Galatians. And so that's where we're going to be over the next eight weeks, and we're going to make our way through this letter on our way to Lent, which is, uh, of course, starts in, on Ash Wednesday as we prepare for death so that we might experience resurrection. It's this beautiful sort of cadence and rhythm. So today, what I want to do is sort of introduce the book to you. We're going to take sort of a 30,000-foot flyover view to see the topography, the valleys and the peaks, and t- try to understand, like, what is Paul doing big picture in this book? And then next week, we'll sort of fly below the clouds and we'll get into it as we study the actual book of Gal- Galatians. Um, So this morning, a little background on the book, like what precipitated, why did Paul write this letter? Why did he send, why did he feel the need to write these things down and send it to these churches? And then we'll move on to sort of the major movements in Galatians. And I want to end with uh, acting maybe a little bit more as a spiritual director than a teacher. And I want to try to ask some questions. When I meet with my director, uh, often he'll read a passage and then ask like, is there anything that you sensed God inviting you to in that passage? Is there any, was there any part of that that had more energy than another part? Was there anything that sort of shimmered or, or uh, uh, was glistening for you? And I want to lead you through these three, these three sections that Galatians is. And is there any one of those in this new year and as we study, begin to study this book that stands out to you? And if so, why? And maybe uh, an invitation to spend some more time with that. So are you guys ready? Here we go. A little bit of introduction and background. Most scholars believe that Galatians was, in fact, written uh, between 48 and 58 AD, so 50 years or so after the Christ event. And most scholars would argue that the Apostle Paul actually wrote Galatians. Now, this is important because a number of books that are attributed to Paul, say, for example, 1 and 2 Timothy, many argue that they were pseudonymous. So somebody wrote them in Paul's name. Uh, This gets really important as to, like, did Paul write this or not? Because in Galatians, we find one of, if not the most important Pauline idea in Galatians 3, when he talks about, in Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. Many would argue this is uh, the heart and soul of Paul's understanding of what Jesus has done on the cross. Now, if you know anything about Paul, you might know that that kind of comes in conflict with some of the things he says in other places, like women should be quiet in church and ask your husband's questions later, should cover your heads, right? These things seem to be at odds. Either there is no male nor femur or there is, right? Which is why it's important. Did Paul actually write this? And I would argue, and many others would say, Paul wrote this book. And therefore, if he did, and this is like the the, the center of what he understands the gospel to mean, that says a lot about what he understands and what what Jesus has done and accomplished in the cross. Paul was a church planter. I like the guy, you know, he's a good dude. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, many would see him as a church, like the first church planter. He went through much of the ancient world and started these new, te- these new uh, communities of Jesus followers. And in Acts 13 and 14, we're going to reference Acts a bit in this study because Paul, uh, uh, the book of Acts tells the story of Paul. And then these letters are letters that he wrote to these churches. So in Acts 13 and 14, we have Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. And they're going to all these places in a Roman province called Galatia. This is modern-day Turkey. Uh, And they go to a number of cities, Perga, Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. If you want to throw that map up there. So on the bottom right is Palestine and Jerusalem. And you move up to the north there is Damascus, Antioch, also known as Syria, Excuse me, and then over to the west around the corner, in modern-day Turkey, you have these cities in the Roman province of Galatia. Again, Perga, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, these are all told the stories of in Acts 13 and 14. 
Uh, and in each of these places, Paul would, like, like he, he I, I guess this is, this is their church planter training, this is what he was taught to do, he would go to uh, the local synagogue and the local meeting places where God-fearing Greeks or Gentiles uh, would meet, and he would begin to tell the story of Jesus, which was somewhat different but somewhat similar to the ones that they had been hearing about Torah, because, of course, if you know the, the prophets, they were waiting for a Messiah, one who would come and who would do this great thing and, and uh, restore and uh, sort of build Israel back up. And Paul is saying that thing has happened and that person is Jesus. So he would go to synagogues and he would preach and teach this gospel, this good news about the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. And presumably, people, he would invite people to repent and believe and be baptized. And people presumably did. And they would begin these small little house churches. Um, much smaller than our church. In these little towns that Paul would go to. And so he would disciple them and tell them about the way of Jesus. And then he would sort of leave them and go on to another city. Um, Galatians is a letter that Paul intended to circulate from, you know, across all these different churches that he would have been to and that he would have started. So once leadership in the house church got the letter, they would read it, they would study it, maybe even copy parts of it, and then they would pass it on by courier to the next city along the way. Now, the all-important question is, why did Paul write it? Like, what is it that precipitated him writing this letter to these churches? In Corinth, you had Jesus followers sleeping with their mother-in-law. Paul's like, don't do that. Uh, you had, uh, in the Corinthian church, they were serving communion in a way that was really disrespectful to the poor and the needy among them, and that sort of cut the legs out from underneath the table itself. Like, if communion in the table was about this idea that all are welcome and that, like, you're fed and, and built up here, to treat people with, in hierarchical fashion was sort of undercut the very idea of, the, of communion. And so Paul wrote to address that in Corinth. Um, Gnosticism was a belief in, ancient, in the ancient world that the body and uh, uh, that essentially that, that separated the body and the soul and privileged one at the expense of the other. It was antithetical to the good news about Jesus and an understanding of a God who cared about this world and these bodies. And so Paul refutes that in a number of letters that he writes. But why did he write to the church in Galatia? Unlike some other letters which were general, there is a specific issue happening in these churches that Paul is addressing, and he takes it head on, and we'll hear this idea or this word, these people, uh, a lot in this study, but there are a group of people called the Judaizers. These were essentially Jewish teachers and leaders who were adding on to the gospel Paul had offered, which was the crucified and resurrected Jesus, and they were sort of making demands on these new Gentile converts and Christians who were coming to faith in Christ, and then these Judaizers were coming sort of after Paul left and saying, it's that plus this, which Paul has a serious issue with. If you know anything about Paul and you study Paul, one thing you could say is the gospel is Christ plus nothing for Paul. And so he's He's upset that these people are coming in and they're making, they're making more demands about these new converts who are coming in, Gentiles. And these Jews are saying, well, you have to do these things too. And so Paul takes those things head on. Um, you have to remember that Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement, right? Um, it's really important for us as we think about the story that we stand in now as Protestant, pietist, evangelicals, like this Christianity is the water that we swim in, but it didn't just come down from heaven. It's a part of a long story and a long family tree with a lot of crazy aunts and uncles in it. You know what I'm saying? So throw that picture of the tree up there, Greg, if you would. Um, I love this. I use this in our partnership classes and in our Discover Awaken classes. All the way over here on the right-hand side, you have a, a little branch that's got the Covenant, the Evangelical Free Church, and the Baptist General Conference. They call them the Three Sisters. All three of those denominations came from Scandinavian Lutherans. So if you follow it back, that's the Pietist movement, and those were Lutherans in Scandinavia. Renewal movement, reform, all things are cool things are happening, and the Covenant is born, right? But if you back it up, it goes through Pietism and through Lutheranism, and then in 1517, if you remember, that's the great you know, Wittenberg door, Martin Luther, the Theses, that's the Protestant Revolution. The Protestant Reformation begins there. Keep going back. You've got one church before 1054. One holy Catholic church, which is why the creed says that. And in 1054, it splits and becomes east and west. You, go, you keep going back before that, and you have, you see where this is going. That our, what, what we're doing right here is actually, it, it has its roots, its beginnings in a Jewish, messianic 
movement. If you know anything about Israel, you know that there's, they, this group of people was set apart in the world in a particular way, or they did certain things that set them apart. Three things that uh, most people would identify with or know about are circumcision, so they marked bodies, kosher uh, dietary laws, or kosher eating, so they, how they ate and what they ate, and then lastly, like religious festivals and holidays, so how they experienced the calendar and time. These three ideas set Israel apart from everybody else in the ancient world. But by the time Paul was writing Galatians, there were as many non-Jews as there were Jews. So if you think about the Jewish story, it goes back 2,000 years before Paul was writing to Abraham. So generations and generations and generations of Jews who were marked and set apart by Torah observance, eating kosher, circumcision, and these observance of these holidays. But by the time Paul writes Galatians, there's as many non-Jews coming into the movement as there were Jews in the movement, which says a lot about how fast this thing spread. I'm thinking about Australia and these wildfires, and they're just like spreading all over the country. It's not, and it's not a very good illustration, so I'm not sure why I said it. But that's what I was thinking. I have family in Australia. We were praying, like, God, would you bring rain on the continent of Australia, please, for the sake of the koalas, if nothing else. Non-Jews, as many non-Jews as there were Jews when Paul wrote this. So, you can imagine that if this whole thing begins with the Jewish messianic movement, and they're set apart by Torah observance, and eating kosher, and dietary laws, and circumcision, and these holidays, and then all these Gentiles start coming into faith in this Jewish Messiah, you can understand that it's probably, it's not a far stretch that these Jews would expect that these Gentiles would observe Sabbath, that they would be circumcised, that they would eat kosher, that they would observe these holidays. And so in Acts 15, we see... The evidence of this, where in Acts 15, you have the apostles, a number of them going back to Jerusalem to have this giant debate about should the Gentile Christians be, uh, be essentially eat kosher, be circumcised. And of course, if you're a Gentile Christian, you have a, you have a lot of stake in this matter, especially if you're a boy. Okay, okay. So in Acts 15, we read this. For those that don't understand what I'm saying, I'll talk to you later. Uh, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. This is what they were saying. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Verse 5, we read, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, these Judaizers, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. We had to be circumcised, you have to be circumcised. Not fair. My mom always said, who told you life was fair? After much discussion, Peter gets up and he addresses the assembly and he says, now, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So me, a good Jew, it's through the grace of God that I'm saved just as the Gentiles. So it's unfair to ask them to do anything other than by faith and grace. They concluded this assembly by writing this letter to the Gentiles, one of my favorite most technical moments in all of Scripture. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit in us. <laughs> Not to burden you with anything beyond the following. Listen, just... Abstain from food sacrifice to idols because all the Jews will go, go, just go crazy if you do that. And if you could just not do that, that would be helpful for them. Okay? Um, for, from blood, from meat, strangled from animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. <laughs> That's just so great. They're like, here's what happened. We got together, and the meeting of the minds and the Holy Spirit, we just decided, like, can you do this? Can you, like, meet me halfway across the sky where the world begins? It's you and I. Remember that song? <laughs> meet me halfway. That's, they were singing that song the whole time during the conference. It was, it was like the theme song. They just kept playing it over and over. It was meet us halfway. That was their decision. So why did Paul write Galatians? Because these Judaizers, the same one that's, that stand up in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, are going behind Paul as he's teaching and preaching and adding to the gospel. They're saying, it's not just faith in Christ, but then you have to be circumcised. You have to eat kosher. You have to participate in all these holidays and festivals. And Paul is bent out of shape about it. It might not seem like a big deal to us, but for Paul, 
the demands being placed on Gentile believers was a giant adventure in missing the entire point. Because his whole thing, and we'll get into this, is, is that in Christ, there is, there, God has, is relating to Torah and, and what has been written and fulfilling it in such a way that it is no longer necessary that one observe those things, but rather, instead of God's people being centered and defined by Torah observance, it's now defined by and centered in Christ, the Messiah, and faith in him. Because what he did, you could not do. So take what he's doing and follow that. So a question for us to ponder this morning. All that's interesting, I think, but here's a question I'd like for us to consider. Are there any demands that we make of one another that add to the gospel of Christ crucified and resurrected? Are there any demands that we make of each other that go beyond Christ and Christ crucified? Like, have you ever been a part of a church that's done this? Or have you ever been a part of a denomination that has done this? Or a tradition that has done this? Have you done that? I did. I, I can think of a very distinct season of my life where I, I was adding demands to the gospel of friends and family. And But what I mean by that is, it's not that there isn't time and place for nuance and conversation around what does the spiritual life look like and what do we ask of one another as people of faith, right? All good and well. Please don't hear me wrong. But when we withhold participation and inclusion in the body of Christ based on fill in the blank and your agreement about this particular matter of theology or your, your interpretation of this particular text, I would submit to you that we're adding demands to the gospel, which Paul seems to have a pretty, uh, wants to have a conversation about. And the whole book of Galatians is about. So why do we do that? What is it in us that feels so good or, or desires to add these loops and these hoops and these beyond Christ and Christ crucified? I, that's, that, to me, that is worth pondering. Let me move to sort of an overview of what Paul's doing and then an invitation to consider some of these ideas. So... Three sections in the book of Galatians. The first section is uh, Paul spends most of his time defending his apostleship and his authority as a person because, of course, he's under attack. These Judaizers are saying, what Paul said, yeah, but there's more. And so his authority as a person speaking and teaching is under attack. So he takes a bit of time to defend himself, rightfully so. And then he lays out and he basically puts forth what he calls the gospel, the good news of the crucified Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And he directly confronts and calls out anyone who's redefining or adding to this claim. Any of the ways that these people are adding requirements for the participation in the community. And the key verse in this section is Galatians 2.19. You've probably heard this one before. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be granted or gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Right? That's what he's saying. If you take all this other stuff, then what Christ did doesn't mean anything. If I could sum this idea up in a key idea, I would say what's true of Christ is true of those who are in Christ. What, what Paul is saying here is essentially, like, Christ, I am crucified with Christ. And he's not saying, like, hey, we're going to hang a whole bunch of people on the cross. But, like, as, spiritually speaking, I participate. I, I, I am crucified with Christ. The, all the ways and all the things in me that are anti-Christ, all the ways in which I oppose the love of God and the hope of God and the grace of God and the compassion of God, all the ways that I choose myself and not others, I crucify those things. And what, what, what's resurrected is not me, but Christ in me. And insofar as I'm incongruent and I'm, I'm saying yes to and I'm like in synchronized uh, synchronicity, I'm in harmony with the spirit at work in me, Christ is alive in me. That's what's alive. Not me, but Christ's hope, Christ's spirit in me. Now, friends, do you guys remember, uh, it's football, right? There's, there's, a, there's a pretty important game on today, evidently, right? Um, there's this great coach, his name was Vince Lombardi, and he once stood up in a locker room with a couple of Green Bay Packer fans here. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me for one second. They are a better team, um, but I hope we win. 
uh, Vince Lombardi stands up in the, in the, in, to a bunch of pro football players and he says, this is a football. Which is like, th these are the basics, like blocking, tackling, football, end zone, field goal, right? What we're doing right now, these, this is basic, like fundamental understanding of what is Christian orthodoxy. That as a person, I can't, I can't satisfy the requirements of the law. I can't like live a good enough life. I'm always at some point going to choose myself over you. So Paul is saying, listen, Christ has died for you. He has fulfilled the requirement of the law. And he offers you life by faith. So crucify all those things that are, that are death in you anyways. And, let, uh, and allow the, the life of Christ to be resurrected in you. I no longer live but Christ in me. So what's true of Christ is true of those who are in Christ. So what's true of Christ? He's beaten sin and death. All love, all grace, all mercy, all compassion. The justice of God in Christ. So if what's true of Christ is true of me because I'm in Christ, are those things true of me? Now we're talking. And if not, why? This is the tension of the spiritual life in those who follow this Jesus. If what's true of Christ is true of those who are in Christ, why are the things that are true of Christ not true of me? There it is. Good luck. Have a good time. <laughs> Go find a spiritual director and talk that out. But that's the tension, right? That's it. So that's section one. Section two, he says this gospel, this good news about Jesus, it creates a new multi-ethnic family of God. That's not defined by one ethnicity or one group of people or one in-group and one, a bunch of out-groups, but rather one multi-ethnic family of God. Remember, it begins with Israel, but according to Paul, God's intention was always to create one massive multi-ethnic family of God relating to him on the basis of faith. He talks about this in Galatians 3, ad nauseum, about why the law was there and what it did, Romans 7 and 8, even more. And he's essentially saying, the law had a purpose, but Christ fulfilled it, and now, it's not one ethnicity defined by observance of Torah, but it's the whole world, the whole cosmos, everyone and everything that says yes to this Christ. That's the new family of God, which is beautiful. My, my brother um, gave me, we, we draw names for Christmas, and I got my youngest brother, Josh. And he met with me on Friday for coffee. And I have a picture of what he gave me, which I thought was really, really fascinating. I think it's, um, Greg, if you want to throw that coffee cup picture up there. Yep, there it is. See what that says? One and many. So I have a, we bought an espresso machine for our 20th anniversary as a gift to ourselves. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's the best gift we've ever given ourselves, I'm telling you. So good. And, he, and so Josh knows this, and he's like, I found this. I was looking for espresso cups, because I know you're, you're fanatics. And I found these, and they are from a woman who is like on the Sea of Galilee in Israel, and she makes these by hand, and her whole, her whole thing is, we are one and many. And I said, that's so, that's so ironic that you would give me this today. Because like, I'm preaching on Sunday about Galatians. And what Paul is saying in Galatians 3, the high point of his theology, in my opinion, is that we are one before we are many. Before any of the ways that we differentiate ourselves from each other, before any of the ways that we make distinctions, and he uses the three most common ones in his ancient world, which would have been ethnicity, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. He says, listen, these ways that we, we make distinctions and we divide each other and we make hierarchies, he's like, they're demolished. Is it Sufyan that says, like, some, there's no shadow at the foot of the cross? All the, all the ground is level at the foot of the cross? As trite as that sounds and is, it's true. Galatians 3, 26, key verse in this section. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ. We are one first, then we are many. Does the world need that? Whoever our enemies may be, they are our brothers and our sisters first. And what does it mean to be people 
who live by that, who are informed by that, tr that truth and that reality. We are one first, then we are many. Jesus be with the children. Paul finishes this letter by saying, this is the gospel of the crucified Messiah, and it creates a new multi-ethnic family, and then the Spirit of God is given to you to empower and enable you to do what you've been called to do. Friends, your transformation, like you being transformed, and therefore the world being transformed, is not because of or by your adherence to the laws or the rules or your holiness, but by the presence of the Spirit of God in you. Say it again, Micah. Your transformation and the transformation of the world is not up to you, and it's not because of you, but it's because of the Spirit of God alive and well in you, right? You've been crucified, and therefore Christ's life is, is, is resurrected in you. Paul says you've been given and empowered with the Holy Spirit, with the, the, the presence, the Spirit of God himself, to do and be this thing that you've been called to do and be in the world. You can love God and neighbor precisely because you've crucified all the things that stand in the way of that, and I've crucified all the things that stand in the way of that. I've said no to those things. And I've turned towards something else. And it's Christ and the life of Christ. And that life is, by God's Spirit, present in me. Galatians 5, Paul starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of that life because of the Spirit's presence. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. In Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts. Which means... The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The fruit of the Spirit, when this happens, we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. So the Messiah fulfills the law and its requirements and gives us the Spirit to enable and empower us to be transformed and to love God and love neighbor. This is the good stuff. So my friends... As we embark on this journey of Galatians, which I hope and pray bears much fruit in our life together, in your life as followers of Jesus and as people at least interested in Jesus, let me close with a few questions for you. These three ideas that I've sort of finished with, I want to walk through them and just ask if any of them have more resonance to you. So if you want to close your eyes, feel free to do that. And I just want to sort of walk us through this and lead us into a time of silence. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ's life lives in me. Are there any ways in which you are fully alive? And that which stands against or in opposition to the way of God and the person of Jesus is alive and well in your heart. And what would it mean to put those things to death in this new year? To say no to those things so that the life of Christ might be alive and well in you. Is there any resonance to that? Do you sense any knowing around that idea? What's true of Christ is true of those who are in Christ. And second, we are one first, then we are many. There is no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. This was said in baptisms before Paul ever wrote this letter, many would argue. And this verse was said to new believers to say before any of the distinctions that we make of one another, we are one. Is there any way in which your heart longs for that? where you desire that kind of oneness, unity, lack of conflict, presence of shalom. And what would it mean for you to say yes to those things, to pursue them, to engage them, to advocate for them in your own life and in your workplace? Or maybe this last idea, that you... You can't fulfill the law. You can't like muster up enough good deeds and holiness. But good news, none of us can. 
And Christ says, I have fulfilled the law and the requirements of it. And what I offer you is not rules and observance of regulations, but life in the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit is, there's freedom. I'm wondering, do you experience freedom? Is that your experience of following this Jesus? Or you might say, I'm not afraid because I'm free in Christ. And is there any sense in which that resonates with you this year? God, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for, uh, I thank you for your word, both incarnate and revealed to us in Christ and written in scripture. And I pray that you would continue, as you seem to always do, to reveal yourself to us through it. So today, right now, in the next few moments of silence, before we close and bind our hearts together in song, would you draw our attention and fix our gaze on maybe one of these ideas or something else? Maybe you intend to say something else. So Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us to what is true, what is of the light, what is of love. And we entrust ourselves and our, our church, this community, to you in this moment. God, we thank you for the silence and for uh, your presence. We pray in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we close and we'll join our voices together. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this or not, but when we sing, like science would say that something's happening in the room, like all of our breath is being drawn and offered at the same time. And like after a while, our heartbeats actually, science, science will prove this, our heartbeats start to sync up with one another. So there's something like profound happening when the church sings together. We're not only declaring the words that are on the screen behind my head, and maybe you believe they're true, or maybe you're trying to believe they're true, but like something's happening in this room uh, of oneness. Uh, so let's let that happen, yeah? With one voice, we'll offer these that God continues to change and transform us and make us into a community that looks like Jesus. Amen? All right, let's do it.
Holy Spirit. And the church gathered together said, Amen, Amen. If you have a need for prayer at all, if you uh, on my right and left, there's a your left, there's a prayer space. You're welcome to use that. Grace and peace to you, friends. See you next week. Happy New Year. Macklin.